Hi, my name is Sarah. The Old Testament reading is found in Deuteronomy chapter four, verses five through six. So pay attention. I am teaching all of you the regulations and the case laws exactly as the Lord my God commanded me. You must do these in the land you are entering to possess. Keep them faithfully because that will show your wisdom and insight to the nations who will hear all about these regulations. They will say, surely this great nation is a wise and insightful people. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in Revelation chapter two, verses one through three. Write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. These are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. I also know that you don't put up with those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles but are not, and you have found them to be liars. You have shown endurance and put up with a lot for my name's sake, and you haven't gotten tired. The word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Mark chapter four, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said to them, does anyone bring in a lamp in order to put it under a basket or a bed? Shouldn't it be placed on a lampstand? Everything hidden will be revealed and everything secret will come out into the open. Whoever has ears to listen should pay attention. The gospel of our Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. you may be seated. And we're going to pray together tonight. Father, as we're gathered here together as your people in your place and in your presence, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might see Jesus clearly and open our ears that we might hear what the Spirit has to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. It's good to see you tonight. Those of you who are here in the room, those of you who are online, we're glad to be able to join together in worship tonight. Uh, we've got several things that I want to give you just a quick update on, a couple of quick announcements before we dive in. First of all, over the last couple of weeks, we've been praying for Pastor Glenn as he had developed a non-cancerous polyp on his vocal cord. He had his doctor's appointment on Monday and received amazing news. The polyp is completely gone. There's a little bit of redness and soreness and stuff left. So the doctor wants to keep him over there for about four more weeks. Uh, and then hopefully end of September, beginning of October, Pastor Glenn will be able to be back up here preaching again. So that is amazing, amazing news. Secondly, this is our last call for meal group leaders. We're getting ready to start our fall meal groups, our small groups in two weeks. If you're interested in leading or hosting one of those, please see Pastor Jay at the info center right after the service so we can get you started on that process. When I was a kid, uh, my family had an old school Nintendo, you know, up, down, left, right, 
A and B. That was it. That's all the buttons that you had to know. When they added a third and fourth button, I was toast. Like my gaming career tanked really quickly at that point. But anybody, if you had an old school Nintendo, what you know is that when you put the cartridges in and then hit power, oftentimes what would happen is that on the screen, it would be fuzzy and the sight and the sound would be all off. There was something about it that just didn't quite work right. And so we had all these creative ideas of how to make the cartridge work. And the most common one was just to take the cartridge out and and just blowing it, thinking like, this will do the trick. If we just take it out and blow at it and then put it back in, suddenly everything will like work again. We'll be able to see what it is that we're supposed to see and hear what it is that we are supposed to hear. Well, we are in the third week in a series through the book of Revelation that will take us all the way through ordinary time into Advent, all the way up to the first Sunday of Advent. And when you think about the book of Revelation, for most of us, this is a fuzzy book that we're not seeing or hearing what we think we're supposed to see or hear. That whatever we've heard or whatever we've experienced, we go and we open up the passages at the very end of the, of the Bible and we're like, I don't know what's happening here. And what our hope is, our hope throughout this entire series is to actually take the cartridge out, <sighs> blow on it a little bit, put it back in and see if we can actually start to see and hear what we're supposed to see and hear. Because in this book, what we're supposed to see is Jesus. And what we're intended to hear is what God has to say to the church about how it is that we live in our place and in our day. How is it that we do that? So throughout the series, that's what we're trying to do. Just, and tonight we'll be doing it in several sort of places along the way, hoping for some focus and some clarity. The book is actually a letter to seven churches from a guy named John to seven churches in modern day Turkey. And within this larger sort of letter, there are also seven individual letters, one to each of the seven churches that are addressed in the middle of it. These letters are actually found in Revelation chapter two and three. We're going to be spending our time tonight. And these letters all follow a basic pattern. You know, the same way that our emails, or if you still handwrite letters, follow a basic pattern where there's, you know, the greeting, and then there's the body, and there's the closing. These letters all follow the same basic pattern, though they deviate at certain places, having omissions at times or changing something based on the state of what's going on in that church. Depending upon how the church is doing, we see a break in the pattern. But tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first letter to see the pattern, and then we'll dive down in a little bit into what John has to say to the church in Ephesus. You ready for that? All right, so Revelation chapter two, beginning in verse one, all of the letters begin with this phrase. They begin with, write this to the angel of the church in, and then they name one of the seven locations. So the two, one says, write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now in the early church, what the early church lar largely did is they adopted the worship practices of the Jewish synagogues. And in the Jewish synagogue at that time, it was common to have someone in the church who was referred to as the messenger of the church, 
the word for angel and messenger are often the same. And what would happen is, is that this person would gather together the prayers of the people and bring them to the Lord in prayer. They would approach the place where the Torah scroll was kept and they would go and they would offer in a liturgical sort of way the prayers for the people. So here what's happening is this is not a spiritual being that's receiving this message. It's a human messenger, the one who has been going before the Lord in prayer for the people now receives a message from the Lord to give back to the people. This is what's happening kind of in the middle is that the one who prays for the church is also the one who receives the message for the church. But the interesting thing here is that the message is for the church, not for any solitary individual in the church, not for an individual Christian, but for the church that is in that place. And this is going to be one of the challenges for us tonight in looking through these passages, is that we live in a time of hyper-individualism and very low ecclesiology. In other words, we have a hyper sense of our individual selves and a very, very low view of our communal life as a body, as a church. This is what's happening all over our world, is a very high sense of individual persons and a very low sense of community identity and community belonging. And what does it actually mean to be a church? Which can make it really difficult to see and hear what John is wanting us to see and hear. So we have to blow that out of the cartridge a little bit in order to be able to see what John's saying. Because what we see initially here is that Jesus speaks to and works through the local church. That this is what the letter is immediately saying to us up front is that Jesus speaks to and works through local congregations, local gatherings of people who are united together in the name of Jesus. And each church here is actually identified geographically. They're not identified in any other way but by its place of residence. They're identified by the city that they're called to illuminate with the love of Christ. This is how they're identified. Every church actually exists within the unique conditions of its place. Wherever the church finds itself, it exists, its life together within the larger and unique context of the city in which it is called. Churches have this kind of unique relationship between identity and locality and mission. How we understand ourselves is partially about where we find ourselves and what God has called us to do in that place. And for us, those of you who identify with a congregation called New Life Downtown, some of you might be visiting tonight or maybe a part of one or other one of our other congregations, but for us at New Life Downtown, we know how important this is. That one of the great challenges of the pandemic has been our dislocation. That we're not worshiping in the same time at the same place. We're not back in Palmer High School. We're not downtown. We're grateful to have this place to gather together and worship. We're so grateful that we have a space that we can come and gather. There's a lot of churches right now who are renting schools that don't have that opportunity. They have no way to sort of gather together. So we're grateful for this space. And we're grateful for all the technology that allows us to connect online, whether you're watching right now or watching during the week. 
but we long to be downtown. It's who we are and it's where we are called. We are New Life Downtown called to be on mission in Christ's name in downtown Colorado Springs. We know that there's a sense of locality and mission and identity that go together. So right off in that first line, we see all of that packed in. Okay, second thing that we see as we go through the letter is it says this, these are the words of, and then we get a description of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. And most of these descriptions actually come from the vision of Jesus that we saw in chapter one. Some of them come from other parts of scripture, but most of them come straight out of chapter one and actually specifically relate to the situation that that church finds itself in. Jesus identifies himself in a way that actually most relates to what the church needs to hear, to what the church needs. Jesus says to them, I am all of those things that you need. That you find yourself in this place, I'm actually the one who can enter into that and provide that for you. This is the loving and care of Jesus, even in how he identifies himself to each church. So here's what he says to the church in Ephesus. He says, these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The churches that are being addressed are the seven golden lampstands. We found that out at the end of chapter one. And the purpose of a lampstand is, of course, not to actually just hold like a plant uh, or some, you know, thing else that you've put on their books, but a lampstand is intended to hold a lamp, right? To hold up light. The description here specifically reminds the Ephesians that their purpose, their mission is to hold up the light of Christ in the city of Ephesus. That this is what they're called to do. This is who they're called to be. Those that lift up the name of Jesus, the light of Jesus in the middle of the situation they find themselves in. See, this is the call of the church. The church is called to embody the identity of Jesus in its unique locality. And we're called to know who Jesus is and then embody who Jesus is in the place that he establishes us to live out our life together. Why? So that the world might know Jesus. That they can look at the church and say, wait a second, what's going on there? oh, they look a little bit like that person I've heard about before. Yeah, let us tell you more. We're called to embody the very identity of Jesus in our unique locality. This is one of the things that I love about being a part of New Life Downtown, about being a part of New Life Church as a whole. Several years ago, we found out as a church that one of the greatest needs facing our city was that there were a lot of homeless families they were living out of their cars, moms with their kids, having no place to go. And so what did we do as a church? We gathered together the resources that we just received as tithes and offerings, and we purchased Mary's home, a home for homeless moms and their kids to come and have a safe place to live and to work and to gain education and to get all of the things that they need in order to be able to move forward the life that God has called them to. 
This is what the church does. This is, okay, what's going on in our city? Okay, how can we meet that need? Or for us at New Life downtown saying, okay, here we find ourselves in District 11. How do we serve Palmer? How do we serve the kids that end up coming to school at Palmer's? So our Kids Hope Mentoring Program says, oh, there's these kids in this school and they need help reading. You know what? We can do that. And we say yes. And we pop in and we say, okay, Jesus, this is how you would live your life out here if you were here and we want to do the same. Next two things the letter says this. It says, I know. Jesus says, I know. And then he explains the condition and the context of the church. And then after he says that, it says, number four, but I have this against you. Some accusation about what's going on in the church that's not healthy, that's not right, that's not good, that's not intended for their thriving. I know but I have this against you. So one of the good news, is, good news in this letter is that Jesus is intimately, intimately acquainted with each church and the situation it finds itself in. Jesus is intimately acquainted with us and the situation we find ourselves in. Jesus knows. Jesus knows every aspect of what's going on in our life together as a church. He knows. He knows every aspect of it. And he knows the very state of our soul together. He knows the state of our church. He knows our successes and our failures, our challenges and our compromises. He knows our heart and the things that we're striving after and the things that we are struggling with. See, Jesus knows us and encourages us and lovingly corrects us corporately. He does this for us as a church, as a body of people called together as a family in Jesus's name. See, the truth is, none of us are actually known in isolation. We're known in community. We're known in relationship with other people. Our identity is actually not even formed in solidarity. Our identity is formed in community. It's not found by just going somewhere off by ourselves and staying in a quiet room for a really long period of time and saying, okay, I'm gonna figure out who I am. It's discovered through living out our life together in community as the people of God. I know myself as son, as brother, as friend, as uncle, as husband, as dad, as pastor, as a child of God. I know myself in relationship. And this is how God knows us, is in the context of our relationships. See, in the New Testament, there is no such thing as a lone Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian whose life is not embedded in community. <sighs> Put the cartridge back in. That's why the majority of the scriptures are written to churches or to leaders to pass on to who? The churches. These are communal texts that are meant to be heard and responded to in the life of a community. This is what he says to the Ephesians. He says, I know your works. Gosh, I know all the things that you're doing. 
And I know your labor. The word there is hardship. I know your toil. I know what you're struggling through. And I know your endurance that you just keep going even when it's hard. I also know that you don't put up with those who do evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles but are not. And you found some of them to be liars. And you've shown endurance and put up a lot for my name's sake. <laughs> I love that Jesus says that. Right? He's like, yeah, I know this thing is hard. And that you've endured a lot because of your association with me. But I love the fact that you haven't thrown in the towel. That you haven't gotten tired. Because it's easy at certain times just to be like, I'm going to throw it in. And then he says, but I have this against you. You've let go of the love that you had at first. So he knows the Ephesians. He knows their deeds and their troubles and their perseverance. He commends them for their perseverance to the truth. And he commends them for facing the challenge of false teachers head on. And honestly, this, this is not a challenge that's gone away. It's a challenge that we still face today. And it may actually even be harder. In that context, the teachers are people who are coming in front of them and living among them for a while. And they got a chance to spend time with those people and to listen to them and to talk together about what was being said and to watch how their lives play out. But now, because of the advancements in technology, we have access to people who we don't know and who don't live in our community. And a lot of times their voices are the most influential voices in our lives. And who we listen to actually requires a significant amount of discernment. There's a lot being said right now in the name of Jesus that violates the very character of Jesus. And there's a lot of things that are being written and said that reference the word of God but actually violate the aims of God. They actually have no place in association with God and his people and his mission in the world. So church, we have to be careful. We have to be careful what we're reading and what we're watching and what we are listening to. He goes on after commending them for doing that and he corrects them for forsaking the love that they had at first, which we're gonna talk about here in just a moment. So put a pin in that. Okay, the next things that we see in these letters is that after Jesus says, I know you, but I have this against you, then he issues an invitation, a call to respond, a call to say, okay, so now what do we do in light of all of that, Jesus? And then there's a pronouncement of a blessing or a curse, that something will happen whether or not you say yes to the invitation that Jesus is presenting. So all throughout the letters, we hear Jesus saying things like remember or repent or stay strong, hold fast or fear not or listen or obey. And this isn't if you do, this will happen. If you don't, this will happen. And this way is, I think, was where the, the book is actually most prophetic is that this is what, how prophecy works, is that God speaks into a situation, calls his people to respond, and sort of outlines for them, this is what will happen if you say yes to the invitation that I'm giving to you, and this is what will happen if you don't. This is how majority of prophecy works, not prediction, but God's proclamation into a situation. But what's interesting here is that Jesus addresses the entire community. Jesus, as like a good Southern, would be saying, all y'all. 
It's like all y'all remember, all y'all repent, all y'all hold fast, all y'all remember, all y'all obey, all y'all listen. See, Jesus calls us to respond corporately even if we're not responsible personally. (sighs) Calls us to respond corporately even if we're not responsible personally. He calls the entire church to repent. He doesn't sort of list out the individuals who are responsible for this. Okay, so uh, Ian, Rick, Lisa, Sarah, you, you guys need a prayer. Everybody else, you guys are okay. It's not what he does. He says to the whole church, hey, church, it's time to repent. Doesn't just list people out and nor does the church do that. I'm like, oh yeah, I know. I know who he's talking about. Certainly not me. It's gotta be that person over there. No, he, he intends for the church to say, okay, this is happening on our watch. This is happening in our community. This is happening in our family. This is going on in our church. And so we've failed in some way to disciple or we failed to care. We failed, we failed to encourage. We failed to support. We failed to correct. We failed in some capacity that this is happening in us. So Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, forgive us. Jesus, help us that we might be the lampstand you designed us to be and hold up the light of Christ well. See, friends, I know my heart is in trouble when it comes to church, when my language starts becoming very accusatory or exclusive, when my language becomes about like he or she or they instead of me or even better, we. And when I'm talking about people instead of saying, talking with people, there's something about the call in the New Testament is for us to see ourselves as a we, to belong, to take ownership, to take responsibility and to say, yes, this is not simply a place that I go, but this is the family that I belong to. This is we. To the Ephesians, he says this, so remember the high point from which you have fallen. Change your hearts and lives. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't, I'm coming to you and I will move your lampstand from its place if you don't change your hearts and lives. See, the Ephesians have abandoned the love that they had at first. Jesus calls them to repent and to go back to doing what they did at the beginning. And he says, if they don't, he'll remove their lampstand. In other words, they'll cease to be a church. And actually, they'll cease to be the people of God gathered in that locality. So the question is like, well, what did they abandon? How did they abandon their first love? What did they actually stop doing? It's unclear. It doesn't actually say and scholars disagree like crazy. Most of the time what's said is that they've in some way abandoned a love for Christ. But what the rest of the passage says, is like, I know your deeds, I know your endurance, I know all the things that you have endured in my name. I think what's actually happened is that they've abandoned their mission. 
In Acts chapter 19, we hear about the beginning of the church in Ephesus and this amazing group of people gathered together is spreading the word of God through proclamation like crazy. People are coming to Christ and into the church and the entire life of the city is being upended because of the presence of the church. Those that run and support the temple that's there, the temple to Artemis, are really upset because all these people are stopping worshiping Artemis and they're starting to worship Jesus. See, the church is propelled outward in love. And I think what's happened is that they've actually withdrawn. They've become isolated. They've cloistered in order maybe just to protect themselves from the false teachings that they're dealing with, which is an important thing for them to do. But maybe they've become so withdrawn that they've been more concerned about protecting themselves than proclaiming the kingdom. That something has actually happened. They're no longer confronting evil and changing their city. They've stopped lighting up the world in Jesus' name. They've ceased their mission, which is why they might cease to be a lampstand, because it's deeply connected with their influence in the city. All right, last two things he says here. He says, if you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. At the end of each letter, they're called not just to hear, but to listen. To listen, to actually move past that place where, you know, you have that conflict sometimes with maybe a spouse or a friend, but you're not listening to me. Yeah, I hear you. No, there's something else that goes on in listening. There's an actual understanding and that works itself out in action. It echoes the very words of Jesus who frequently said, blessed is the one who hears and does, who hears and obeys. There's an invitation to listen and to act. But each church is actually called to listen not only to their letter, but to every other person's letter. It's like reading someone else's mail, right? To listen to all of them. See, but this is what's happening. Jesus actually invites local churches to listen together, not to condemn each other. To actually listen together and not condemn one another. We're meant to collaborate with other local churches in the city, not combat one another, not to point fingers, not to judge ourselves against them, to sort of hear one of these letters and go like, sure, glad I'm not in Philadelphia. Well, Philadelphia is a good church. That's actually the one you'd want to be in. Thankfully, I'm not in one of those other churches. And getting into this like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not there, but to listen and say, oh, but for the grace of God, go we. Lord, where is that present in our community? What can we learn here? How can we pray for other churches? How can we support them? How can we encourage them? How can we together be the body of Christ in the world? Friends, we're hearing more and more all the time from other pastors in our city and around the country. It is a hard time for churches. It is a hard time for pastors. So I encourage you to be kind, to be generous, to be supportive, even in the midst of disagreement. And if you have left another church in town or you've left another church in a city because you moved here, would you take just a few moments and would you write one of the pastors there a little card 
Would you encourage them? Would you thank them for something that you saw in their church that was good? Do you thank them for something that you learned there, something that you received there? If you have the means, maybe send them a little gift card to go and grab some coffee somewhere at a local coffee shop. Encourage them in some way. We're in this together, not against one another. Last thing he says is this. He says, those who emerge victorious. And then he follows with a statement about a promise from New Jerusalem from the city of God that is coming into the world. Literally, the language says the one who is conquering or the one who is overcoming. We just sang that song. We will overcome. It says the one who is actually is overcoming. It's an expression about faithfulness in the midst of this world. About being faithful in the here and now is a kind of kingdom victory. It's a kind of victory that's happening. It says those who continually are resisting the constant seduction of the world around us, the constant seduction of the status quo of just living life like everyone else. Those who in the face of great resistance and even those in the face of personal loss, those that remain loyal to Jesus in the middle of that, the letters say they will foretaste the future. That they'll get a taste now of what's to come. See, Jesus promises that as the Spirit helps us to be faithful, that we will experience new Jerusalem life in a world of death. That even now, we begin to experience new creation, new Jerusalem life in the midst of all that is happening around us. He says this to the Ephesians. I will allow those who emerge victorious to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. Later on, the end of the book, John says is that the, the tree of life is for the healing of the nations. But the promise is, is that as the Ephesians come back to the start of lifting up the light of Christ, that they will experience healing and they will once again be a church that exists for the healing of the nations. Friends, we know that things are not as they should be in our world. We know that things are not as they should be in our country. That we know that there is a desperate need for the healing love and power of Jesus to come into our world. And we know there's a desperate need for the healing power and love of Jesus to come into our lives. Individually, in our life as a church, that we might actually be a healing presence in the world. And as we come to the table, we get a taste of this. We get a foretaste of the future, a taste of the healing that God wants to bring to us and that he wants to bring through us as we come to the table. God makes those things happen for us here as we eat from the tree of life. Pastor Evan.